As the coronavirus pandemic unfolded this year, it brought with it a worrying trend. An increasing pattern of scams and fraudsters looking to take advantage of the economic and social uncertainty of the crisis. I'm Rachel Mortimer, and today I'm joined by Myron Jobson, personal finance campaigner at Interactive Investor, and Simon Harrington, senior policy advisor at PIMFA. Welcome to the FT Advisor podcast. So we've seen multiple warnings from the likes of the FCA and action fraud this year after an increase in scammers looking to cash in on the pandemic. Myron, what sort of scam activity are we seeing an increase of? Well, it's quite interesting. The coronavirus pandemic has created like an almost perfect storm for scammers to hide their schemes among increase in correspondence by legitimate organisations related to, you know, the coronavirus measures they're taking. And unfortunately, we've seen some really creative, really awful scams that um, come about that are doing the rounds. For example, financial support fraud. So everyone knows that the government has made funding available to offer financial support for individuals and businesses to help them through the pandemic. And guess what? Scammers have jumped on that too um, and to, you know, and promote their nefarious schemes. So there have been many reports of fake emails offering government, offering grants that are doing their rounds. But it's a ruse and it's a ruse to use um, and it's designed to steal personal information. And also the NHS test and trace emails. So there have been reports of um, scammers using that to, again, pillage information, personal information um, from people. Um, and it's just it's just terrible. It's a ruse to get your personal information and people really need to be aware of them. Mm, absolutely. And Simon, have you seen any sort of new types of scams emerging off the back of the crisis? So I think one of the quite interesting things about scams and fraud, as much as they're sort of interesting, is that in reality, they are actually sort of reasonably old hat in that a lot of the scams that you sort of read about and you hear about have actually been around for ages. They just sort of adapt to modern time. Sort of one of my personal favourite anecdotes is, for example, the, uh, the Nigerian print scam, which actually has its provenance in the 16th century from the French Revolution of sort of murdered Marquise and their sort of slave handler sort of offering to, to, to give money to, to somebody should they sort of send some relief cash. So what we've actually sort of seen is an, an adaptation of, of existing sort of scams to sort of sit within the purposes of COVID-19. So, for example, you will have sort of phishing text scams where, where an individual will, will text someone out of the blue asking them to sort of call a number, claiming that they have breached uh, something to do with, with the lockdown restrictions within that mm. sort of specific area. And the thing that we are sort of particularly worried about rather than sort of the emergence of new scams is the extent to which a global pandemic and, and, and with it, the social distancing that comes with it basically strips away the support network of individuals, right? People are being forcibly stripped away from their sort of checks and balances. And I, I know a lot of the time when we talk about financial services, we, we say, well, it's actually a bad thing that, you know, my dad can go down the pub and sort of ask somebody what they're doing with their, their pension money as they also approach retirement and then decide to do exactly the same thing. But in the context of people basically being worried about their financial future, people being extremely vulnerable and people being offered ways out of potentially sort of financially precarious situations, they're no longer able to sort of say, well, 
somebody contacted me about this and that person cannot turn around and say, well, that's quite obviously nonsense for mm. a number of reasons. Mm. And I think that's actually the thing which is most worrying to us rather than the emergence of new scams. Because as I said at the beginning, in the main, the scams are the same. They just sort of fit to the purposes mm. of the surroundings. Mm, yeah. I think touching on the vulnerability point there, you know, the concept of being vulnerable is fluid. It's ever changing and, the stress and as you say this sort of uh, I don't want to use the word unprecedented but it is unprecedented what people are having yeah. to deal with and they're not used to it and you know I was down at the beginning of the year um, at home le- helping my mum look after a relative in hospital and it was a stressful time and we had a phone call on the on the landline on it's quite um it's quite common now the HMRC scam about yeah. um you know about having to pay immediately otherwise you'll be arrested or or, or some something um, and for, you know, for a couple of seconds, I thought, oh, gosh, this is legit. Um, and, it, you know, I write about scams every day and it still took me a while to, to, to sort of for it to click that, that it was it wasn't it wasn't real. Um, but, you know, it, it, it depends what sort of mind frame that you're in is that, you know, you could be caught off guard or a particularly stressful day. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's and that's when it that's when it gets you. Um, but. I mean, what can consumers be doing to to make themselves aware of scams and be particularly vigilant? I mean, we, we've seen that pension scams, which is a particularly awful, um, horrific idea, um, but we've seen that those are on the rise. What can perhaps relatives or advisors be doing to protect potentially vulnerable people against those sort of scams? No, I think it's quite interesting. You mentioned, you know, pension scams, you know, I suppose you're probably referring to pension liberation scams, which I suppose have been doing the round since 2015, since the mm. pension freedoms were announced. And, you know, these schemes, they try to get pensioners, well, you know, savers to break the law by accessing their pension savings before their pension age, which, you know, is currently at 55. Um and it, they basically say it's too good to be well it's too good to miss opportunities but you know these investment opportunities that they explore are likely to result in you paying huge huge um, admin fees and will land you with a, a big big tax bill and so i suppose the guidance is you really have to be aware of these schemes you know you have to do some research for yourself and if anyone you know is cold calling you um, in regards to pensions just hang up it's that's been outlawed you know you're not allowed to do that. i think that's been outlawed since the beginning of 2019 if memory serves me correctly mm-hmm. and so if we ever get a call in regards to your pension simply hang up that's the best mm-hmm. thing to do um and you know moving away from pensions just in more finances more broadly it's always important to check who you're dealing with so someone who might be purporting to work for the bank you, you bank with um you know may ask you you know some some really taxing questions about your personal financial situation if you're unsure just just check just you know make sure you get that person's information their details so you know after the phone call just don't don't you know give out information really nearly but after phone call you can double check with the organization to make sure that the person you speak to is actually illegitimate and you should always check fca register so if not a bank but if it's a financial company that you're not aware of should only deal with 
FCEA registered companies and check the FCA register, which is really easy to find on Google um, if you're in doubt. And, you know, just one last thing I want to say is, you know, just don't be pressurized. I think a lot, what a lot yeah. of these scammers do, they, they have a, a knack of making people make a decision automatically, immediately. It's like, if you don't make a decision, you'll you miss out on something big. Don't be pressurized. Do, take your time. Do your research. You know, this this relates to your finances. And I don't think any decisions relating to your finances should be made on a whim or because someone says, oh, my gosh, you need to make it. You know, just take your time. Do your research. And if you're in doubt, just, just hang up on unsolicited calls. It's just mm. not worth your time. Mm. And if it, if it smells fishy, it probably is. And beware of those good, too good to be true opportunities. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's spot on. And obviously, we've spoken about consumers falling victim to, to these sort of scams. But Simon, is there instances of advisors being targeted as businesses in, in this sort of pandemic and crisis and, and frauds are taking uh, advantage of that? So interestingly, yes, but in, in a sort of in a, in a different way. I think one of the sort of quite interesting things about freedom and choice is that pension scams have increasingly become investment scams, right? They, they are, they are not sort of separate and, and Myron sort of rightly sort of outlines pension liberation fraud um, as, as an area of concern, but you know, as it happens because of sort of freedom and choice, pension liberation fraud is actually slightly less prevalent than it kind of used to be because ultimately people can access their money sooner at which point, that becomes investment fraud. The problem that you then have is you have a significant proportion of the population which have a lot of money that they previously have never had before and are looking for places to put it. And, and we're currently in an incredibly low interest rate environment and people are looking for return. And one of the issues that sort of our larger firms in particular have faced is, is cloning, cloning scams, whereby an organization will purport to either be or ever so slightly sort of attached to that particular firm and offer investment opportunities as a result. So one of our members recently outlined an issue that they had whereby scammers were purporting to be selling Lidl bonds, which were sponsored by the company. So, you know, take your money and, and invest in this sort of incredibly high return uh, Lidl bond. And uh, they were, their attention was drawn to this and they sort of asked Google to, to take it down. And after sort of much going backward and forth, it eventually was, but this was sort of over like an eight week period. And one of, one of the issues that, that sort of firms have, especially with respect to impersonation and claim fraud, is that there is currently no sort of jurisdiction for enforcement in this, in, in UK sort of legislation. And it is actually sort of one of the reasons why when the government sort of brings forward its online harms bill in, in 2021, uh, we, along with sort of a number of other bodies, including the FCA, believe that the government should recognise financial crime as an online harm, which it currently doesn't do. And, you know, you could go into the reasons why, for example, a, a search engine doesn't want to take down a, a financial promotion, which which is fraudulent. But ultimately, if financial online harm was considered as such within UK legislation than it then it sort of would be and this is sort of one of the things that it would it would protect against cloning fraud uh, sort of spoof domain names which you know purport to be sort of attached to I don't know 
wealth manager x the 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 domain name might be wealth manager xy or something like that it's about sort of convincing people with the kind of veneer of respectability that the thing that they're investing in isn't a scam at all it's completely sort of legit and as i sort of said at the beginning in in an era of 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 people basically being able to withdraw all of their wealth really all of their liquid wealth at the age of sort of 55 this is this is particularly an issue for for our firms mm. yeah absolutely i mean in terms of protecting their clients and also their own businesses what do you recommend advisors should be doing or be particularly vigilant of um in terms of these malicious risks and the, the threat of scammers myron do you, do you have anything sort of to yeah. recommend? I, I think you know i think advisors could do what perhaps banks do already which is um make their clients aware of the new scams you know what, what scams are doing the rounds and you know what to look out for and guidance um on how to avoid being scammed you know, i think it's as simple as that you know just sending the weaker maybe once a week or as no as when once a scam um, um, uh, emerges and just um, warning your client on the scams it's as simple as that it's important yeah. to, just to flag up the scams yeah I, I think that's right i mean i think we should also sort of be aware of the fact that clients of advisors are largely inoculated from a number of the risks of, of scams by by dint of the fact that they are trusting a qualified professional to manage their money on their behalf. But, you know, there are fewer than 3 million people in the UK that are currently being advised. So the risk is more that sort of sizable majority who are not benefiting from financial advice than, than the minority of people that actually are. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's quite interesting because, you know, at Interactive Investor, you know, we we ask a, questions about, a question about scams um, in our most recent Great British Retirement Survey. And this involved um, around 12,000 UK consumers. And 13% of respondents said that they had fallen victim to scams. And this is interesting. It rises to 20% among those aged over 77, which I suppose it goes to show that what we already know that a lot of older people are targeted, unfortunately. Mm. And it's quite interesting. So um, investment fraud and the current account fraud were the most two commonly cited scams and for many people who've been scammed and um, they said that it had put them off um attempted to put their financial affairs in order in mm. fear of being scammed again which mm. in itself is a dangerous and worrying thing isn't it and i think what a lot of us are being more made more aware of is even the most sophisticated and seasoned investor can form uh, for victims to scams so it really is more important now more than ever to take care with your money and look out for the warning signs and again you know i think advisors have their parts play on on this mm, absolutely yeah well look thank you both so much for your time today thank you for listening stay tuned after the advert um to hear the news roundup for the rest of the week Welcome back. I am joined by Amy Austin and Imogen Chu, senior reporters at FT Advisor. Hello, both. Hello. Hello. Uh, so another week, another FSCS levy headline. Amy, what's the latest? Yeah, so last week the FSCS was forced to raise a £92 million supplementary levy. Um, this was because of all the pension advice claims and other high-profile firm failures that they've seen over the year. And, you know, like with the whole LCF bond stuff as well. 
Um, however, good news, bad news for advisors is that they will only have to contribute eight million pounds of this. The bad news is that this is because the FSCS has actually raised the maximum level it can charge um, advisors this year. Um, another bit of bad news is that also these figures are still subject to change. Like it could be, it could be a little bit higher for the rest of the classes that have to pay this um, levy because of the uncertainty with COVID and you know how many other firms they might have to pay out against, etc. Um, but the final amount will be confirmed along with its forecast in for the 2021-22 annual levy figures um, in its plan and budget in January 2021. So they haven't got too long to wait to see how much they're being charged. Mm. Caroline Rainbird, you know, the chief executive of the FSCS, did acknowledge that the le- this extra levy was not going to be welcome news by, you know, firms given the current climate, both, you know, advised firms and, you know, providers, et cetera, that are going to have to pay up as well to help, you know, this levy be funded. Um, but I'm sure that's not really what advisors want to hear. You know, they're still going to be very peeved about this, but I'm sure Imogen can tell you some more about that. Yeah, so I think I already know the answer to this, but how is this received <laughs> by the industry, I mean? Unsurprisingly, uh, advisors have not been best pleased to hear that their FSCS levy will be going up once again. Um, As we all know, this has been kind of like a long standing burden um, on advice firms. Uh, The burden is particularly poignant, I think, with advisors as they feel they are paying for the the bad advice given by other firms in the industry that don't necessarily follow the best practice that they do, the good guys always pay. Um, This is echoed kind of in in, in all of their responses this time as well. Um, Some of it was quite sobering, really, to hear some advisors be like, we're just not surprised anymore. It kind of, the angus that the advice industry had felt seems to kind of gone away now. And it's more just kind of... um, almost like a an acceptance of just oh of course resigned to it yeah yeah exactly they seem very resigned to it um pimp just described it as a bitter pill to swallow um particularly uh amid kind of the coronavirus crisis um advisors pointed to regulatory failings which i think um they obviously feel like the fca doesn't do enough to stamp out these bad actors while they're um solvent and so therefore it's it falls onto the FSCS and so that was pointed out again which is something we've heard continually whenever we've seen these FSCS levies rise Um, and then a couple of people were kind of pointing towards the fact that this needs to be overhauled now that um, there needs to be a change obviously we know the FCA is looking into some of these potential changes but um, but yeah the general sense from advisors is a sense of a resigned of course not not unexpected still very very frustrating this needs to be changed how much longer can the industry really continue paying this level of levy Mm. I mean as you say this is a narrative that we've heard a lot about this year and last and this certainly seems like a bit of a slap in the face um for people for advisors who have been um campaigning for reform in this area I mean I actually wasn't aware that there was a maximum um, levy that can be raised on each class, which I guess gives hope that there's only a certain amount that the costs can spiral out of control if there is a maximum there. But, you know, as you say, it obviously points to some sort of 
bigger failings if, if, if we're at that if we're in that situation uh one thing that was really interesting uh which i hadn't really thought of before was that one advisor said to me that if as it's being passed on to the rest of the industry as there's kind of a, a backstop on this advice sector um, how much they can pay that it might actually make more of the financial services industry kind of like take notice mm. on just how much this levy is rising and there could be more of a kind of unified approach to lobbying for change in this area so on a positive note there was kind of this sense of okay what well, we're now sharing responsibility maybe we can share the fight as well mm. Mm. yeah I think some like mortgage advisors were saying that because obviously they might fall into different classes you know they do like general insurance and other stuff as well so they might not necessarily just be in the advisor like levy part so you know they might have to pay out for this bit and for that bit so yeah I'm pretty sure they'll be fighting their way for it to be like you know what this is not okay yeah yeah and last Wednesday was obviously a busy day for both of you with the chancellor's spending review uh what did that mean for pensions Amy uh, so yeah, um, spending review came out. Um, there wasn't too much um, in Rishi Sunak's speech on pensions as they are, but um, with you know the documents that come with it, there were quite a lot of things that came out of that. Um, for example, the state pension has been confirmed that it will rise by two point five percent next year. Um, so a lot of people are quite happy to see that you know confirmed and that it will go up and that the triple lock for the meantime seems to be here to stay and um, there was also some funding for social care um, and the government in its document said you know we will be reforming this next year I mean we've heard this all before and I'm not going to hold my breath and say that you know 2021 is the year of social care reform because mm. it probably won't be um, but it's glad it's it's a good thing to see that they haven't just ignored it completely. You know, it was still in there. It's still in the background running along. So hopefully we'll have something come out of that next year. Um, probably the biggest thing to come out of the spending review was that the government also published its outcome to the consultation on RPI reform. Um, however, you know, this has been met with a bit of criticism as well because these plans to reform, which will bring it in line, with the consumer price index could see savers with protected pension income such as you know db pension schemes and annuities lose out in the long term um, and the government has confirmed that there will they will not be paying compensation to anyone who's losing out to this change um so yeah not great for you know people that are relying on this i mean a were warning that people could receive up to 0.8% less of an increase uh, when the change does take place. And like this, you know, it's it's not something to be, you know, just looked over. Like people will be losing money from retirement income, which is obviously so important nowadays. Um, so, yeah, not great. And do we know when that change is, is set to take place? Yeah, so before they were saying it would be merged by 2025, um, but Sunak has put it off until 2030. So it won't happen before then, um, which doesn't, you know, it does. It seems like so far away looking at it now, and especially after the year we've had. Yeah, it will, it will come around so soon, and you know, I'm guessing there'll be, you know, changes that need to be had now. I mean, people's transfer values could drop. 
um, because, you know, they'll take into account, you know, the amount of money they had before and then the amount of money they'll have when this changes. Um, so there, there's going to be things that pension schemes, trustees, advisors will have to take into account when this happens. Feels like that's on top of a pretty dire situation for pensioners searching for income at the moment. I mean, I just know from my um, investments reporting that uh, dividends have dried up, bond yields are massively low. And so it seems to me like this is kind of one more addition. Obviously, we don't know what the state of play will be like when this comes into into force, but it's another thing that pensioners and those who are looking for, for an income from their pension that are going to be kind of hit with another another roadblock, you know? Mm. Yeah, sure. I mean, I get, I can, I can see why the government wants to do it because it, like, statistically for them, it makes it makes sense to align it. And you know, people have been calling for it for a while. But you know, I think it's just the same with anything. There's winners and losers in every situation. You know, no matter what it is in life that you change some people come out on top and some people come out, you know, not looking so good. I just think it's one of them things. Mm. And Mr. Sunak set out the lay of the land for the wider economy as well. Uh, what did that look like, Gimme? Yeah, it was it was pretty gr- grim listening. Yeah, I don't think it was uh, necessarily worse than people expected, but just hearing him reel off those figures in Parliament was, um, yeah, it, it wasn't nice listening. Um, his main point was that uh, this is going to be there's going to be kind of lasting scarring on the economy from the coronavirus crisis, um, and at least until 2025. So we're looking at kind of three years now where we're going to be the, the economy is going to be paying the price for for the coronavirus. Um, the economy is now set to shrink about 11.3 percent this year. Uh, to put that into context, that will be the largest output for more than 300 years. Um, so n- nothing to be sniffed at. Um, it's expected the government will borrow nearly 400 billion this year. So in order to pay for all the schemes that are in place, basically to protect businesses and jobs uh, against the pandemic. Um, but this is the equivalent about 20% of GDP. So basically 20% of our output is again being borrowed for this so um yeah again nothing to be sniffed at there um pre-covid levels of output are expected to come back into play by about q4 2022 so that's at least a timeline we can kind of imagine that the economy will be running in a similar fashion as it was pre-covid by the end of 2022 so at least that's kind of like a timeline that we can kind of picture um but of course, there is also the uh, no deal Brexit potential looming over us. Basically, everything is around 2% worse if there's a no deal Brexit. So GDP is expected to fall around 2% more this year if we have a no deal. So, yeah, lots of variables. And obviously, nothing is set in stone, um, depending on how quickly and how effective these vaccines can come out. Depends how quickly the economy can get back to normal. Depends on human behaviour as well, how quickly people get back to living the life they did leave pre-pandemic. Will they, won't they, will there be industries that are kind of have long-term suffering here? But um, yeah, in general, not a pretty picture. Lots to look forward to. Well, thank you very much both. And thank you for listening. You can tune in again next week. Sorry. 
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.